Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the content in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. This is Emily Rosenthal of the Catholic Review. With us today on Catholic Baltimore is Jim Selinger, the Chancellor of Education for the Department of Schools for the Archdiocese of Baltimore. For nearly four years, Jim has served as Chancellor, where he is responsible for promoting the enrollment and fiscal health of archdiocesan schools. This role follows his 35-year career as an executive for IBM. Welcome to the show, Jim. Oh, thank you, Emily. School safety is a very important topic currently with Parkland and now the recent shooting in Great Mills in Southern Maryland. Are there specific best practices that you see being used in schools in the archdiocese to ensure security? Well, Emily, you know, to be frank with you, I mean, the recent shootings in Parkland as well as the ones most recently in in Great Mills High School in St. Mary's County, uh, it basically demonstrates that we're not immune to the violence that is occurring in our schools around the nation. when When you really think about school safety, you can break it down into four areas. One, we really need to focus on prevention. And that's making sure that our kids have the right security around them uh, to not allow individuals into the school. And I can go into more specifics as it relates to that. Uh, And then it's detection. And then, of course, then you get into the situation of basically reaction to what's going on and then recovery. So as a a group here at the Archdiocese, uh, Tom Alban, who's our Director of, of Risk Management, and I have worked very closely together with our school leadership teams to ensure that they're focused on these areas. And what are some of those specific details you were saying? Uh, so when you think about you know, prevention, uh, visitor control is, is probably the first one. Uh, making sure that we have best practices around uh, control of access to our facilities, verification of the individuals that are trying to visit our schools, and validation for the reason for their visit, as well as even potentially screening for contraband. But then you also get into areas such as student risk assessment. Uh, we need to be making sure that our counselors and our, our teachers and our administrations are developing and implementing uh, multidisciplinary teams to conduct student risk assessments, making sure that we, get, we have bullying situations going on in the school that are quickly addressed because they can quickly escalate. Uh, and we need to make sure that we're including external resources uh, from law enforcement as well as the mental health community in helping us do that student risk assessment. And then, you know, when you think about school climate, uh, and as a prevention mechanism, you know, what's nice about our schools is, is we're being able to maintain appropriate school uh, class sizes. Uh, and we're encouraging our students as well as our faculty and staff uh, to communicate what they see. If they hear or know something, then we need them to say something. Uh, they can't just share it with a peer or anything like that. They need to make sure that our students, if they see something going on, that they're communicating that to the administration in a timely fashion. And we really want to make sure that our students, as well as faculty and so forth, are involved in and in make school safety a priority. And what are some of the ways that your department is working with schools and helping them to improve their safety? Well, with the recent uh, you know, incidents that have occurred, as I said earlier, in Parkland as well as in Great Mills, we are in constant communication right now with our, our uh, school administration, making sure that we are going and assessing uh, 
how well we're doing on these areas of visitor control, how, how good are we doing as far as prevention of uh, access to the facilities, reviewing our camera systems that are in our schools, ensuring that we're all communicating and we have you know, practices with drills, whether it be a lockdown or so forth, to ensure that if something were to occur, everyone knows their roles and responsibilities in reacting to that situation. And uh, with the with the world and the way it is, and threats are always changing. And we've seen that with in uh, Austin, they were having package bombs, and and in schools, they're having problems with gun safety. So, how are schools able to keep up with these threats as they keep continuously changing? Well, I just think it's basic block and tackle. Uh, you know, as I said, you know, it's all about prevention and detection. I mean, you're, no one's immune. Uh, you just need to make sure that we're communicating regularly. So. Uh, as it relates to the state of Maryland, we've really worked closely with the state's uh, Department of, of School Safety. Ed Clark and his team meet regularly, as well as communicate regularly with Tom Alban, understanding what's going on around the state. So if there's a particular threat that is, being, that is occurring somewhere, we're all cognizant of it, and we can be able to detect and, and respond more quickly because we know what's going on around us. Absolutely. So speaking of what's going on around us, how can students and parents get involved in this process? And then um, also the community, how can everyone get involved? Well, I mean, I guess you could say that uh, you know, safety is a team sport. And as we need to ensure that in all our schools and around the community, especially with the likes of stu uh, social media, so much occurs over the social media network today. If something is, a, is something is being broadcast by a school student or a potential threat, that if parents hear this, if students hear this, they're reporting that to their schools. And it's all about what you see and what you hear. Make sure you're communicating it. It's just so many different avenues of communications that occur today that we all need to be participating in, the, in responding to those particular poten threats, potential threats, uh, so that everyone can react appropriately. And have you been involving parents? And if you have, how have you been communicating with them about these issues? Well, I mean, we, uh, after the uh, Parkland incident, we actually did send a communication out to all our parents indicating what we were doing here in the archdiocese in the areas of pre prevention and detection. And our principals were doing the same thing, to reassure our parents and our students that we are vigilant on this and that no one is immune and that we need their active participation in the process. And involved in the prevention, obviously, would be the teachers. And so how can teachers really play a role in the detection of possible threats? Well, I mean, it's a, that's a good point. I mean, when you think about the school climate and uh, making sure they're doing student risk assessments, uh, you know, one of the things that really keeps me awake at night, and I think it keeps a lot of the, uh, the, the different um, uh, county superintendents and so forth, is the amount of bullying that goes on in our schools today because that can quickly escalate. So making sure that we're doing student assessments, that we're monitoring what's going on in the classroom, if, if, if students are not getting along with each other, that we get the right individuals involved uh, to discuss the issue and stop it from escalating. When these issues come up, um, are teachers involving local law enforcement, or do you recommend that or keep it uh, in within the schools? No, I mean, we, we will quickly engage law enforcement if we think there's a threat. Uh, and I'd rather do that than say we, sh we should have done that, right? Uh, all our schools have very strong relationships with uh, the local law enforcement, and we encourage the law enforcement uh, to come into our schools to understand our environment 
and that way our principals and our administrations feel comfortable should they have a particular threat they don't hesitate to get law enforcement engaged so that building the community yeah, it's all about community it's families it's it's the uh, uh, students it's the administration it is the uh, law enforcement and mental health organizations in our communities that can be brought to bear to help us prevent and detect potential issues that might occur in our schools so are, is mental health a part of that conversation in the student risk assessment? Absolutely. Yeah, so you bring the right external forces to bear to understand what the issues are for a potential student if, in fact, it might escalate to be a problem. Great. Well, we only have about a minute left, but would you mind just telling us why focusing on school safety is so important to you and your department? Well, I mean, it's still, you don't want your students to be happy and productive in school. If they're concerned about their safety, they're not going to be performing well in the school environment. And that's the hallmark of Catholic schools, you know. No, but again, no one is immune. Uh, you know, this whole issue around shootings in our schools around the United States is, is sad uh, and something that we all need to be vigilant on. But Catholic schools in general uh, have done extremely well as far as safety uh, and, our, and our administration will continue to be vigilant in ensuring that our students are. Thank you, Jim. After the break, we will talk with Tom Albin, Director of Risk Management for the Archdiocese, about safety and security in parishes. This is Emily Rosenthal, and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. Barbara Swan sat in the kitchen of her Randallstown home and reflected on the grief that accompanies the loss of loved ones. There's never going to be as bad a day as the one he, Jesus, had for you, she said. In Locust Point, Alex and Mary Kay Robleski processed their ongoing mourning. I might wake up one morning and it's worse than the day before, she said. Nothing is getting better. But then I read scripture or a story. It's like God talking to me, explaining everything. I say, that's got to be the Holy Spirit. Swan and Alex Robleski are lectors at their home churches, St. Ambrose in Park Heights and Our Lady of Good Counsel in Locust Point, respectively. In addition to a sturdy faith, they share a horror that's all too common in Baltimore, burying an adult child. The Robleskis, meanwhile, await the twice-delayed trial of the three people accused of killing their only child, Alex Robleski III, outside a convenience store off Ford Avenue last November 14th. Last year was the deadliest per capita in the history of Baltimore City, and 2018 is proving just as tragic, as the toll could exceed 300 victims for the fourth straight year. The majority of the victims are young men, whose parents work to ensure that they themselves do not become spiritual casualties. Read more about their stories at catholicreview.org. Famed Hollywood director Martin Scorsese asked a question of Pope Francis during an October 23rd presentation of the Pope's new book, Sharing the Wisdom of Time. Recalling his childhood parish in a rough New York neighborhood surrounded by poverty and violence, Scorsese said that still today, the world and even the church itself is marked by evil. How can we elderly people strengthen and guide the young and what they have to go through in life? How can the faith of a young woman or man survive in this maelstrom? How can we help the church in this endeavor? Scorsese asked the Pope. 
Pope Francis said that one of the ways evil is manifested in the world is through cruelty, particularly the use of torture, which is the destruction of human dignity. The elderly must teach young people that cruelty is the wrong path by passing on the wisdom of weeping and the gift of crying, the Pope said. Even Jesus, when he saw the failure of his people, he cried over Jerusalem, the Pope said. Cry. Don't be afraid to cry for these reasons. We are human. Before this violence, this cruelty, this destruction of human dignity, weeping is human and Christian, the Pope said. And ask for the grace of tears, because crying softens the heart, it opens the heart, it is a source of inspiration. Cry. The U.S. bishops will start 2019 with a spiritual retreat to pray and reflect on the important matters facing the Catholic Church. Set for January 2nd through the 8th at Mundelein Seminary near Chicago, the retreat was planned in response to Pope Francis's request to a delegation of U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishop Leaders during a meeting at the Vatican September 13th. The meeting with the Pope focused on the U.S. Bishop's response to the widening clergy sex abuse crisis. A Capuchin Franciscan priest who serves as the preacher of the papal household will direct the Ignatian-style retreat. The Church's response to the sexual abuse crisis will also top the agenda for the Bishop's Fall General Assembly in Baltimore, November 12th through the 14th. For more on this and other stories, visit catholicreview.org. For the Catholic Review, I'm Kevin Parks. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android. And follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. We're back on Catholic Baltimore talking with Tom Albin, Director of Risk Management for the Archdiocese of Baltimore. Tom has served in this role for 12 years, managing risk claims, loss control, and liabilities, and is the leader of the movement for increased safety and security among archdiocesan parish and school campuses. Welcome to the show, Tom. Thank you for having me. We hear a lot of talk about school safety. Why is the call for parish safety just as important? The churches are no longer uh, individuals that are, are not targets of these type of activities, um, and often people consider them to be what's referred to as a soft target. Um, and we certainly want to have an opening and welcoming environment. So it's important that we do put into place some measures and steps to ensure the safety of our parishioners, our staff, and visitors uh, to ensure that their, their time at church is peaceful, that they can reflect on the Mass and not be concerned with or have at least a sense of that we are providing and working towards providing them a safe place in order to practice their religion. 
How is parish safety similar to schools, but how is it also different? Certainly. uh, Again, schools and parishes are similar in that there's a perception that both schools and parishes are uh, places that are relatively easy to gain access to. Uh, It has uh, particularly the school settings, the individuals with them being children. Uh, Sadly, oftentimes people see those as an opportunity to make a name for themselves or whatever the case may be. And again, schools have come a long way in increasing their level of security. And then with with churches, the biggest challenge and, and the biggest difference now is the fact that within our school environment, we have begun to create a culture of safety and security a number of years ago, uh, largely predicated upon the various unfortunate shootings that have happened across the country. Uh, but the time has come now that you know we need to start looking at our parishes because they are so open and welcoming that we need to ensure that we're putting uh, appropriate and adequate measures in place to ensure the safety of the folks who are on our campus um, so that they can be safe and again enjoy their time while they're there. And are there best practices that you recommend for parishes to keep a secure campus? There are a number of things that we encourage all of our parishes to do as they evaluate uh, safety and security on their parish. And the most important and first step is recognizing that we do, sadly, in the world we live in today, we do need to have a bit of a cultural change. We still want to be open. We still want to be welcoming. But the fact of the matter is we do need to put some safeguards in place to ensure Um, that folks are safe and secure. And I often share or say to leadership at our parishes, just as a number of years ago, you used to be able to go to the airport and just get on a plane and take off. Times have changed and that's no longer possible. And the reality of the world that we live in today, we do need to start putting some basic measures into place to ensure uh, that we're providing a safe place for our parishioners and congregants. What are some of the ways that your department is helping to improve safety and security around the Archdiocese? Our primary focus is to go out and meet with as many parishes as we can and provide to them the basic guidelines as we see them, what is necessary in order to put an effective plan together. And essentially what we are promoting is first and foremost that there does need to be a cultural change and a recognition that security and safety does need to now be part of every parish's activities and planning and coordination. And as part of that, we're encouraging all parishes, just as they would have a financial committee or facilities committee, we're really encouraging them to formulate and have a standing safety committee composed of parishioners who come with backgrounds that would be appropriate, such as military, law enforcement, first responders, Um, to help the parish build a a plan and a program. And the primary focuses of that plan and program are to ensure the physical safety and structure by walking the campus, looking for vulnerabilities, then looking at the parish operations to see are there opportunities to improve safety and security? Are we providing sufficient uh, security for our students in religious ed? And from those, then we ask them to take their, their findings and develop plans that would enable the the parish to move into one of three basic responses in a time of emergency, whether that be locking down, sheltering in place, or doing an evacuation. So we remind them that this isn't an easy or overnight task, and we continue to encourage them and work with them and provide them numerous resources for them to formulate plans uh, that are specific to each of their campuses. 
So before you talked about having an all-risk response. Correct. And so what are some of those risks that you see beyond the typical thought? Absolutely. Just because of the environment we're in today, a lot of people immediately go to and want to talk about the active assailant, active shooter. And the reality is our churches need to also be prepared for other types of situations, whether that be uh, a hurricane, a tornado, high winds, severe storms, chemical spills. So again, what we always encourage and remind our parishes is there are a myriad of risks that confront everyone. And we remind them that regardless of why they need to go into a response, the, the bottom line is we want them to be prepared to do one of the three responses um, that we previously um, went over that, that they can do timely, efficiently, and ensure, again, the safety and well-being of all that would be involved at the time of the incident. Are there any things that you have seen around parishes that are uh, good examples of what to do? Absolutely. I, I would say one of the things that I find most beneficial are those parishes that have taken, and really it's also an opportunity for evangelization, and that is there are a number of parishes that have welcoming committees. And frankly, the primary objective of a welcoming committee is to welcome parishioners, welcome new folks to, to the church, have a simple engagement, recognition, but it is also, and it can also be an opportunity to, to again, engage people, get a sense if uh, there's a situation or maybe the person seems to be under distress. We provide various training tools for the greeting uh, uh, folks uh, in those ministries as well as ushers relative to signs to look for in an individual that may be of concern to then bring that to the appropriate person's attention so that it can be addressed so as to avoid any um, problems or difficulties. And so what about the average parishioner? Do you have any advice to help ensure their safety? Yes. The one thing, and I think this stands for whether you're in church, you're in the mall, uh, you're attending an event at your child's school, we all need to become more aware of our surroundings and remain attentive. Uh, It's important that we're engaged in what's going on around us. Uh, We have so many things coming at us these days, and so many of us get immersed in our social media and technology. But again, it's important that um, you take time to make sure that you know what's going on in your surroundings, that you have taken a look around you to see if you were uh, needing to get out of a particular location that you've identified your exits. So again, it's, it's it's a sense of awareness and just being familiar with your surroundings. Now, we only have about a minute left, but tell us again why focusing on safety and security is a priority today. Absolutely. I think it's a priority because in order for people to really fully engage in worship, it is important that they know that they are coming to a location that will provide to them as best as possible a safe location in order for them to celebrate and join in their religious practices. Thank you, Tom. We've been talking with Tom Albin about parish and school safety. Thank you for being with us today. This is Emily Rosenthal of the Catholic Review, and you've been listening to Catholic Baltimore. With the general election coming up November 6th, now is the time to get educated on where the candidates stand. 
The Maryland Catholic Conference, legislative lobbying arm of the state's Catholic bishops, has published a survey of the candidates for governor, Congress, and the Maryland General Assembly asking for their stances on important issues including education, help for the poor and vulnerable, health care, immigration, and conscience protections for health care providers who refuse to perform, refer, or pay for abortions. To see the survey and find out more information about Election Day, visit archbalt.org. Again, that address is archbalt.org. For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator who would be happy to speak with you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.